Good morning. Thank you, worship team, and thank you, John, for leading us in that prayer uh, segment. That was fantastic, very meaningful. We are in a series called The Oikos Principle. I'm Joe Collins, and we're glad you're worshiping with us today at Simi Church. The Oikos Principle is, okay, is the idea, we're having fun with microphones today, is the idea that Jesus' primary way in which he spread his message was through the relational world of his followers. The word oikos is the Greek word for household. It's a term that's used in the Bible to describe a person's relational world. In other words, it's, it's describing who you do life with. Your household are the people that you interact with the most. Last week, we talked about investing in your oikos. Today, I want to talk about inviting your oikos to church. So I have a confession to make. In the past, as a minister, I have sometimes been more focused on bringing, getting people to come to church to fill the seats than I have on encouraging you, the church, to go to the world. The Oikos principle is about changing that paradigm. That Sunday morning is not a landing place, it's actually a launching site. It's how we get encouraged and inspired and empowered to send ourselves back out into the world to go be and bring Christ to our households, to the people we do life with. So today... When I talk about inviting your oikos to church, I'm not necessarily talking about Sunday morning worship service. I'm also talking about inviting people into your life, into your relationship with God. So if we keep that in our minds as we go through the lesson today, church is not only what happens here on Sunday morning, church is what happens wherever and whenever you go. Right. It goes wherever you are. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning to come together and to be reminded of our role, our purpose, of what you have asked us to do to bring your message to a lost world. Help us, God, to be empowered and to be launched into that world, inviting those people that we know best into our relationship with you, into the church. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. John chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a mentor, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. We're going to do something a little different today. I am a huge fan of what's called biblical exegesis, which is where you, you take a, a passage of scripture and you break it down and you try to understand what it meant at the time to the people it was spoken to before you try to apply it to your life today. In other words, we focus a lot on the what 
of the passage. What's being said here and what did it mean to them and what does it mean to us? But today, if you'll indulge me, if you'll allow me, I actually want to look at the meta conversation, as psychologists would call it. I want to not necessarily focus on the what of what's being said, but I want to talk about the how it's being said. The the how of this interaction between Jesus and this Pharisee named Nicodemus. That means that we might do a little bit of speculating. And speculating is okay as long as we know we're speculating. And I want you to know that I'm aware of that, of the difference between speculating and then clear, sound teaching. And so today we're going to try to do a little bit of both. But as I said, if you'll indulge me, I want to focus on the how. Because I think when we look at the how, it's going to give us a lot of insight into the way in which we can interact with the people in our lives. And it might even help us be even better at being able to invite people into church. And again, when I say church, I mean not just Sunday morning, but I mean your life as you live it. So we pick up the story here. It's early in Jesus's ministry. He's in Jerusalem or or near uh, in that area anyways, and he's with his early disciples. And it's the first time that they're together in Jerusalem with Jesus as, as he becomes a public figure. Now, what's interesting here is... uh. Jesus did a lot of interesting things early on in his ministry. One of them was to clear the temple. Now, if you have been with us for weeks or months now, you know that we did a long series called Jesus Worth Following. We studied the Gospel of Mark and we went through it literally verse by verse. And we learned that at the end of Jesus's ministry, He went to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate Passover with his disciples, and he cleared the temple. And we we spent a lot of time talking about it because that was an incredibly momentous time in Jesus's narrative. It was it was it was uh, earth shattering in the story of Jesus that moment. Well, here in the Gospel of John, this is at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, and we find out that. He actually cleared the temple early in his ministry, according to some gospels, and other gospels say he cleared it at the end of his ministry. So the question is, what what happened? Did he do it once or did he do it twice? And most people believe that Jesus actually did it twice. That when he first started his public ministry, he gathered his disciples, he went to Jerusalem, celebrated Passover, and cleared the temple. That's one way to get known. Not a bad stunt to start off his ministry. He definitely became well-known after that moment. And then he did it again two years later on his third and final visit to Jerusalem with his disciples. And that's when eventually he was killed afterwards. And so he he came in with a bang and he went out with a bang. That explains why this guy named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, came to meet with Jesus. You see, the ruling council was like the Supreme Court of the Jewish people at that time. He was one of, Nicodemus was one of 70 men. He was a power player in the religion of Israel, in the religious world of of the Israelite nation at the time. And he comes to talk to Jesus. You know, a lot of people came to talk to Jesus after he cleared the temple the first time, just like they did when he cleared it the second time. But what's interesting in this interaction 
is that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Now, I love to get the audience involved a little bit from time to time in my preaching, and so I'm going to ask you a question. Feel free to just blurt it out where you sit. Why do you think, we're speculating, why do you think he came at night? Oh, way in the back. Wow. Come on up. You can finish the sermon. (laughs) So what Daniel said was that he thinks he did it at night because he didn't want the other members of the council to see him associating with Jesus. Anyone else? That's pretty much a good answer. (laughs) Don't think we can elaborate. It is actually the answer I had, too. Thanks, Daniel. It definitely seems to, 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 to indicate to me, it suggests in this story, that, Je- that Nicodemus was, was somewhat of a genuine seeker. He was searching. He was on this council, and if he had gone to Jesus in broad daylight, that would have been a big to-do because Jesus had just done this pretty dramatic thing by clearing the temple. And for Nicodemus to associate himself with Jesus after an event like that might have been professional or even personal suicide. I mean, he definitely would have put himself in bad standing with the rest of the council because they weren't too fired up about Jesus clearing the temple. So when when Nicodemus comes to visit him at night, really, he's going there with really good intentions. He wants to kind of dialogue with Jesus. I believe he's really genuinely seeking to know what Jesus was all about. Maybe, as he says... He started kind of hearing a little bit about what Jesus had to say, seeing a little bit about the things that Jesus was doing, and he came to the realization that this guy just might be from God, and so rather than just be a religious zealot and, and, and uh, you know, uh, write him off right from the start, he wanted to know a little bit more about Jesus. And so he came at night, and that was good enough for Jesus. Because church isn't a place you go. Church is somebody you know. Now, whether you know it or not, many of the people in your oikos, your household, your relational world are actually curious about Jesus. But coming to church right out the start, right out the gate, is sometimes a really big ask for those people. Because let's be honest, church is weird. It doesn't feel weird to us because we've been doing it forever. But in a world where church is not the norm, which is ever more the truth, It is a strange place. Let's think about it for a minute. There's unfamiliar music that apparently everybody but you knows the words to. There's unfamiliar rituals. We stop and we kind of pray in the middle of everything. We 
we get up and we take communion. How am I supposed to know when I'm supposed to do that? There's unfamiliar people, and they want to hug you. <laughs> and they want to ask you lots of questions about you. They use weird words like discipleship, D-time, Devo, and that's just the D's. <laughs> Don't get me started with the amens and the preach it bro and hey sis and oh, I'm so struggling. let alone when are you supposed to stand or sit or pray? And all of this has to be figured out at 1030 on a Sunday morning. Church is weird. It's intimidating. I think for Nicodemus to go and meet with Jesus must have been incredibly challenging. Everybody in their brother, his professional circle, his relational world would have thought that is something going on. What is up with you, Nick? You going off the deep end here? You getting weird on me? Like, what's happening? And so Nicodemus comes at night, and Jesus is totally okay with that. You know, we don't have the text, but here's something, and again, I'm speculating, but here's something I want you to just, something that keeps popping in my head when I read this story this, early in Jesus' ministry, would have been great publicity for Jesus. Hey, Nicodemus came to talk to me. Let's get that out. Now, I know it's written in the Bible, but this was written actually several years after the event happened. But at the time, Jesus is a young arts upstart. He's getting, he's getting out there. He's making a name for himself. And a, ruling, a member of the ruling council comes and wants to have an audience with him. That would have been plastered all over social media if it was today but not with Jesus. Jesus wasn't going to call Nicodemus out like that because Nicodemus wasn't ready to be called out like that. Sometimes we're trying to reach the people in our relational world and we, we ask too much from the start. Before you think about inviting someone to church Sunday morning, invite them into your home. Invite them to a cup of coffee. Invite them into your life. Let them experience church through you as a way to start the process. Verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound. You cannot tell where it comes or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Before Nicodemus even gets his question out that he wants to ask, Jesus answers it. You see, Nicodemus came because he wanted to know what Jesus meant by the phrase, repent for the kingdom of heaven 
is near. If you remember from some of our previous lessons, and if you don't, that's fine. If you're new, I'm trying to give you some context or some background. This was a common, that was a common teaching of Jesus. That was one of his phrases. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that phrase, kingdom of heaven, meant something to the Jews at the time. It meant that God was going to do something special, that the Messiah was going to come. And so there were many wanted to know, how do you know, Jesus? What's the deal with that? And even better, in the case of Nicodemus, he was like, am I good? Who doesn't ever ask that question? I've got, you know, hey, are we good, God? That's a question that many people have, that they're asking themselves all the time. And so Jesus doesn't wait for Nicodemus to get it out. He goes right into answering the question. And then Nicodemus' response is actually really funny. He basically says, Jesus tells him, well, Nick, you're going to have to start all over, be born again. And Nicodemus says, from what point? Do I got to go all the way back to my birth? Little inside baseball. The Jewish religion was a law-based religion. It was about right and wrong. And so Nick is filing through that in his mind. Where did I go off track? Where, did I, where do I have to recorrect from, right? Where do I have to, to go back and redo it? And Jesus simply responded by saying, from right here, from right now. He's not interested in going back and making you right all the wrongs of your life. Amen. He's not interested in making you grovel and do the walk of shame and go through all the, the misery of all the mistakes you've made. That's not what he's about. He just wants you to start over where you stand today. Amen. And that's what he says to Nicodemus. Basically, I'm again, I'm not exegizing the passage. I'm summarizing. But in a nutshell, start over. But where should I start from? Today. That was the interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. You know, Nicodemus was no slouch. As I said, he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He was older than Jesus. He was more experienced from a physical perspective, from a, from a, a physical, uh, uh, yeah, perspective. And yet here he is at night really seeking to understand what Jesus is teaching. I think we all could learn a little bit from the humility of Nicodemus. Being willing to ask those questions, am I good? Where do I, you know, what does this mean? You say, I need to start over. From what point? Oh, from right now. You really, you really, in the passage, appreciate Nicodemus in this interaction with Jesus. But even with all that, if meeting with Jesus in daylight was a big step, becoming a follower of Jesus, as Jesus suggests here, getting baptized, water and spirit, Getting baptized and becoming one of Jesus' followers was like a giant leap for Nicodemus. People often say that Christianity is the best message anyone could ever hear. And it is. But they never tell you how hard it is to get people to believe it. 
Because it asks a lot. Starting over, that's a hard thing to do. And the older you get, the harder it is. And that's why the oikos principle is so important. Because it starts with the relationship. It focuses on the people you know in your life who are having these questions, who would love to get into this kind of a conversation, who would like to flesh those things out, but they're not ready. They're not ready to, to come to church, let alone jump in and join but they're willing and maybe even ready more than you know to talk to you. And so when we talk about inviting our oikos to church, we're really talking about inviting people into a conversation between friends. We're going to hand out the cards, I think, one more time. (laughs) If anyone does not have... One of our Oikos cards, our Mission Love cards, raise your hand, we'll get you one. If you'd like another one, feel free to take it. But we are going to make sure that every disciple in our fellowship has a card and is familiar with how to use it because we believe that if you don't write it down, it won't happen. And what I'm doing, if you haven't noticed, is I'm slowly teaching us week by week through each step of the oikos principle. The first starts with identifying the people in your world. Who are the people in your life that you have influence with? Children, spouse, aunts, uncles, family, neighbors, coworkers, whatever, fellow students. It starts by identifying them, and then it goes to praying for them. Praying every day, or as often as you can, for those people. And then it goes to investing in them, taking the time to focus on those people and, 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 and building the relationship with them. And now we come to inviting them. What we're talking about today. And as I said at the beginning, inviting people to church is more than just coming on Sunday morning. It's actually inviting them into a conversation about Jesus. And that's what you see Jesus doing with Nicodemus. He takes him where he's at. He doesn't use Nicodemus as a PR. He doesn't go around and parade Nicodemus as, oh, this guy came to talk to me. Look at how awesome I am. He doesn't do any of that. But what he does is he receives him in off hours at night, and he allows Nicodemus to to ask the questions, and he answers them. And he starts this conversation with Nicodemus. And that is maybe the best description. We're talking about the how, not the what, but the how of this interaction. That might be one of the best descriptions of what it means to invite your oikos to church, is to invite them into a conversation. And so I want to encourage you, make your list, pray for your list, invest in those people, and start inviting them. Invite them to church. Invite them into your relational world. Invite them into your relationship with Jesus Christ. Whatever whatever suits them, whatever they're ready for, whatever they can handle, start inviting them. Verse 9. How can this be, Nicodemus asked, 
You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. Now the conversation gets a little testy. Nicodemus comes at night. He's genuinely seeking. Jesus receives him, takes him where he's at. They start the conversation, a good conversation. It's going good places. And at some point, Nicodemus is just struggling with the idea, that mind change, that, no, I've got to go back and do all the law again. I've got to start over at the beginning and do it right this time. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not holding that against you. Just start right now from where you're at. And Nicodemus is like, how can that even be? That's not the religion I grew up with. That's not what I know. And Jesus maybe could have been more sensitive, but he says, and you're Israel's teacher? I mean, how'd you get on the Supreme Court? (laughs) He goes on, and there's much more said. I'm not going to get into that because I just want to make a simple observation that the conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus doesn't necessarily end as you might want it to end. There's no great story here of, and then Nicodemus became faithful and he was baptized and he became Jesus' best follower. That's not, that's not what the story is. That's not how it goes. As a matter of fact, it just kind of ends with Jesus teaching Nicodemus a few things. And that is all we hear about Nicodemus in the Bible. Until John chapter 19. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which one had never been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. We've advanced here in the timeline about two and a half years or so. We're at the end of Jesus' ministry. You may not know this, but Jesus' public ministry lasted about three, three and a half years. Started when he called his first disciples, went down to Jerusalem, turned the tables over in the temple, caused the big stir, and then he taught for about two and a half years after that until he returned to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover once again, turned the tables over again, He was finally arrested and then crucified. And so we pick up the story now, some two, three years later. Jesus is dead. And this guy named Joseph of Arimathea comes and asks for the body of Jesus. And the goal was to be able to bury Jesus properly. What we know about Joseph was that he was a man of means. Apparently he was a wealthy man. He was from the town of Arimathea in the province of Judea. So he was a genuine Jew. He was a real Jew, a Jew's Jew. He was righteous, and he was secretly a follower of Jesus. He was secretly a follower because, like Nicodemus, he sat on the same ruling council as Nicodemus. He was one of the 70 on the Supreme Court of the Jewish nation. 
Now, I'm only speculating. But it seems to me that there was some sort of conversation, some sort of relationship between Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Maybe it started shortly after Nicodemus met with Jesus. That conversation didn't end so great. Maybe him and Joseph continued the conversation. Maybe for a couple of years now, Joseph just hung in there with Nicodemus, kept talking to Nicodemus about what Jesus was teaching, about what he understood. Joseph was secretly a follower. You get the impression that Nicodemus was in Joseph's oikos. He wasn't inviting him to church. He wasn't calling him out. He wasn't having Nicodemus go public. But what was going on behind the scenes, I'm speculating, I know, was a conversation. Once you engage the conversation about Jesus with your oikos, the most important thing you can do next is to keep it going. Once you invite someone to come to church, whether it's a worship service or whether it's into your home or whether it's just into your life, keep inviting them into a church service, into your home and into your life. Because the seed will be there. But if it's not nurtured, if it's not watered, if it's not buried and the soil isn't tilled, it will go away. Birds will come and take it. It'll die on the vine. Someone has to take care and continue the conversation. For many of the people in your oikos, in your relational world, they have had some experience of Jesus Christ, whether it was in a church or on TV or something someone told them. And sometimes it wasn't always so good, right? Many of us had that experience. Not so good. What was it Gandhi was famous for saying? I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. A lot of people, that's their mantra. Because sometimes the call of Jesus is offensive. It's difficult. It's hard to swallow. Even though Jesus never called Nicodemus out. And, and from our perspective was very gentle and very careful. It was still a difficult interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus. And someone had to be in his life to nurture the conversation, to keep it going. When we talk about inviting our oikos to church, what we're really talking about is keeping the conversation about Jesus alive. I'm inviting you to join me in inviting your oikos to church. Invite them into your home and into your life and into your walk with God and keep inviting them. And don't stop. Don't stop until God makes it abundantly clear and they are moved out of your oikos or they become a follower of Jesus Christ. It must have been a heck of a day for Joseph of Arimathea when he got up that morning, brokenhearted, tormented over what had happened to Jesus. He was on the council that, that, that condemned him to death. He didn't agree with the council. He actually voted against their decision. 
He was becoming more public with his faith. And when he finally said, well, I'm not going to leave Jesus on that, to, on that, on that cross. We need to go take care of him and tenderly treat his body. It must have been a heck of a day when Nicodemus said, I'll go with you, Joseph. I want you to imagine that day. Imagine when your friend, your coworker, your child, your spouse says, you know what? I'm going to go with you to church today. Not only that, but I want to, I want to know more. I want to study the Bible today. I want to learn what you know. It must have been an incredible moment for Joseph of Arimathea when his good buddy Nicodemus finally said, you know what? I'm not going to hide in the shadows anymore. I'm going to go and be associated with this Jesus that you've been telling me about. It isn't going to happen if we're not willing to be the church to those people. It isn't going to happen if we're not willing to take them where they're at and to start the conversation and finish the conversation. And so the challenge for all of us today as we close out our service is to start inviting your oikos to church. We're going to stand. We're going to close out in a prayer. And then we're going to sing happy birthday to ourselves. (laughs) And then there's cupcakes somewhere. They're in the back. Enjoy one on the way out. Please don't bring them back in. We can't have any food in here. Father, thank you so very much for giving us glimpses between the lines in your scripture of what might have been going on behind the scenes. God, thank you so much for giving us people who we love and we care for and giving us a mission to love and care for them back. And there's no greater way to do that than to share our faith with them, to tell them to repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. And God, when those conversations start, I pray that you empower every person in this auditorium to boldly have those talks and to keep having those talks until we see our oikuses one at a time coming to faith in you. Such a joy and a blessing to be a part of this church family for these past four years. I pray for your spirit to be with us as we go about our week this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to see me.